So I've got this picture that's going to pop up here. I want to tell you this, this story. If, if, you, if you can't see this, this is me hanging upside down in the bilge compartment of our boat. Now, I want to talk to the, the young ladies just really quick, just, just briefly, just, just briefly. This is your future right here, right? So when you're picking your man, you pick for what's on the inside, not for what's on the outside, because this is waiting for you in your tomorrows. Right? You see him now at school and he looks so good because he's got those high socks that match those basketball shoes that he paid $250 for. Yeah. All, one day, all that's going to be gone. It's compression socks in your tomorrows for varicose veins, right? It's Rockports, it's Clarks, it's sandals and socks. That's pick them for what's on the inside, not the outside. Now, you can't see it in this picture, especially good, but that's good for you. But let's talk about hairy bellies, because that's in your future. So this boy that you think is so cute, he's got all the hair care products, right? You're over his, for a family dinner, and you go to the restroom, and you open up the medicine cabinet, right? Because that's what everybody does, because we're nosy. And you see all those hair care products. One day, all those are going to be in the trash. And he's going to have products to get rid of hair instead of keeping hair in place because at some point it stops growing where you want it to and starts growing where you don't want it to, right? So if you're a young lady, you pick your man for what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. All right, that's a little Father's Day wisdom. That's free just from me to you. So, so we were getting our boat ready for the boating season, and, and we discovered that there was a leak in our bilge pump hose. Now, if you know anything about boating, you know the bilge pump is important because if you get a leak in your boat, your bilge pump in your engine compartment pumps all that water out so your boat doesn't sink, which is a critical part of boating is not sinking. And so we found this leak in our line, so I had to replace it. And now to replace it, you've got to detach the line from the through hole fitting where the water sprays out when it's pumping. And of course, they put that in the most impossible place to reach because they want you to take it to the dealer and pay right an insane amount of money. But that's not me. Right? I'm going to figure this thing out no matter what it takes. And so Vanessa comes over from the grocery store and she's like, what are you doing? Right? And I'm like, I'm working on the boat. So she snaps this picture. I didn't know that she snapped this picture. And she, I said, I'm trying to reach this hose. And I, I was determined I'm doing this by myself. I'm going to figure it out. So about an hour later, I go into the kitchen and say, honey, I need your help. And she's, all right, what do you need me to do? I said, I need you to get in the boat with me. So what do you need me to do? I said, you're going to have to hold my feet and I'm going to slip in all the way into the bilge compartment. There's going to be a moment where all of my weight shifts in, and once I'm past the point of no return, if you don't pull me out, I'm not coming out, right? I'm not coming out. So she's all right. So she gets up in the boat, and I slip in, and she's got me by the feet. And there's this moment, right, where right before I commit, I'm like, you got me? I got you. You got me? I got you. Are you sure you've all right, I got you. So I slip in, my life is in her hands. I'm working, I get it, I finally get it disconnected. I'm like, all right, I'm ready, you can pull me out. There's this moment, right? Now, thank goodness I married a woman of character because what she didn't do in that moment, that was her perfect moment of negotiation if she wanted anything, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that never even entered your mind, right? So, so she's like, yeah. And so, and so she, she starts to pull, and I'm thinking, dear God, I'm going to be in here for the rest of my life. 
because I'm not coming out. So she's pulling and tugging. People are walking by. We're laughing. She's pulling. Right? We're, it's just, and, and finally, she breaks that point of gravity, and I'm able to slip out, and I survived, and I'm here to tell the story today. Right? Why am I telling you that story? Yeah, clap for Vanessa. Listen to me, I'm telling you this story because this is part of my definition for manhood. Manhood demands that you put the full weight of your life into the hands of others because there will be fixes in your life that are beyond your reach alone. Manhood demands that you put the full weight of your life into the hands of others because there will be fixes in your life that are beyond your reach alone. Listen to these verses. This is Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in a time of need. Proverbs 18, 24, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. I love Ecclesiastes 4.10. It says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Listen to Proverbs 27.17. Many of you know this verse. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I want to talk to you tonight about two fixes. Now, there's lots of fixes that men need at certain times in our lives, but I want to talk to you about two as a pastor that I find are the most pervasive in men's life. And the first one is this, is we need a shame fix. Somebody say shame. Shame is living under a cloud of despair because of our past mistakes. Shame is living under a cloud of despair because of our past mistakes, past shortcomings, right? Past sins. Some of them are big, some of them are small, but we all have a list and we look back on that list and there's a feeling that shame begins to overtake us. Listen to these verses out of Joshua chapter 8. This is verses 3 through 8. It says, so Joshua and all the fighting men, they set out to attack I. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide and ambush close behind the town and be ready for action. And now when our main army attacks, the men of I will come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. Right? This is the battle immediately following Jericho. We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town, for they will say the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then while we are running from them, you will jump up from your ambush and you will take possession of the town for the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord commanded. You have your orders. I'm reading you this story because this is what shame does to us, man. Shame draws us out of the places that we're supposed to be protecting. And while we're distracted and emotionally depleted, the strongholds that are supposed to be the good strongholds in our life begin to fall. The same thing that Joshua did to take the city of Ai, this is the strategy of shame in your life. It's the strategy of shame in my life. When we think of strongholds, especially in the church, we tend to only use the idea of strongholds in regards to things that need to be broken, but strongholds can also be good. There should be some strongholds in your life that you're protecting. There should be strongholds in your life that are sacred. One of the most important strongholds in your life, men, is your marriage. 
Your marriage is a stronghold. It's a city that God gave you to protect. And shame draws you out, and it leaves the city that God put you to keep safe vulnerable. Many of you are here tonight. Your marriages are suffering because you need a shame fix. Parenting is a stronghold in your life that you should be protecting. If you're here today and you have the privilege and the honor to be a father, it means that also you've accepted the sacred responsibility of being responsible for the stronghold of the parenting of your children. And shame draws us out. It distracts us. It leaves us emotionally and intellectually depleted. The amount of time that we give ourselves to thinking about all the things that we've done, it leaves our children vulnerable because our, our past has our attention. How about your career? How about your education? How about our health? As men, our health can suffer. Strongholds in our life, cities that God gave us to protect. This is a big one. Shame robs us of the moral high ground. This is one of the things that we find that men struggle with. This is one of the things that we struggle with in our lives. As men, we're called to be leaders. We're called to be leaders in our homes. We're called to be leaders in our communities. And what happens is, as you begin to listen to the whisper of shame that wants to draw you out of your place of moral authority and focus on all the mistakes that you've made, when God positions you to now challenge someone else, you remain silent because the whisper of shame says you've lost the moral authority to challenge someone else because you used to struggle that yourself. Now, if you're struggling with it now, that's a different story, and that's another sermon for another time. But we're, we're talking about the idea of things that used to be a problem, things that you've conquered, things that you've overcome, things that you've healed from. Shame takes your moral authority, especially in parenting. This is one of the reasons why we see men failing to lead their children in sexuality, because in their past, they have a story. And shame says to them, you don't have the right to call your children and challenge them to a better place because of the things that you've done. Shame draws us out of our strongholds. It distracts us. It tells us the lie that we don't have the moral high ground. Men fail to lead in their marriages because they have a past. They have a story. Men fail to lead their friends, friends that they're watching and they know the path that that friend is on. They, they know the end of that road because they've been down that road themselves and the Holy Spirit is spurring your heart to say, reach out to this friend and challenge them. You, you've got to give them a warning and then all of a sudden you remain silent because the whisper of shame draws you out of the city of your moral authority and you remain silent when you were supposed to be the voice of warning. This is the fix. The most important thing that you can do to overcome shame is talking with other men who you can trust. And let them carry the weight of your story with you. This is the fix. The most important thing you can do, there's lots of things that you need to do if you're going to overcome shame in your life, but the most important thing that you can do is that you find men who are trustworthy, who keep confidences, who they themselves have overcome the, the shame in their life. 
And you can begin to talk with them about the things that make you feel ashamed. I love this verse in Galatians. It's in chapter 6. It's verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Listen to verse 2. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, you obey the law of Christ. As you begin to find men that you can trust in your life, men who you know can keep confidence, I'm telling you, as you begin to talk about the things that you're ashamed of in your past, you take from them the power that they have over your life. The way that shame controls you is that it gets you to live in this place of isolation. The way that shame has authority over your life is that it leaves you in this place of being alone. But as you begin to reach out into the relationships that are around you and you find the courage to begin to talk about the things of your past, then all of a sudden those men begin to speak some things into your life that you need to hear that talks about the forgiveness of God, that talks about second chances, that talks about new beginnings, that talks to you about finding the courage to overcome who you used to be and not letting those things rob you of the person that you're supposed to become. And then all of a sudden, you get a shame fix. You're never going to reach it by yourself. The shame fix requires that other men are in your life to help you reach it. There's a settling fix. Somebody say settling. Settling is to accept less than God's best because you're blind to your own potential. There's a shame fix and there's a settling fix. The settling fix means that you've got to overcome this lie that you've bought into and you're blind to your own potential. I love these verses out of Judges chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Judges 6, 11 through 14. Then the angel of the Lord came and he sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, Joash of the clown of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, we're not reading the whole story for the sake of time, but if you back up in chapter 6, it tells you the horrific living conditions that the Israelites are under, that they're just a victim to every foreign invading army, and their, their, their country lies in ruin. So here is Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat to help his family avoid starvation because he knows that if there is grain that's found, then these marauding invaders are going to take it for themselves. Listen to what the angel of the Lord in verse 12 appears to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors that they told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Listen to verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have. Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israelite, Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. I like that 
the angel doesn't say to Gideon, go in the strength that you're going to find. He doesn't say to Gideon, go in the strength that I'm going to give you. He doesn't say to Gideon, you got to take a step of faith here, right? I know that you're not strong now and you're not a hero now, but if you take this step of faith, you're going to step into who you're going to become. Now, are those things true? They can be, but that's not this story. And sometimes that's not your story. Sometimes your story is Gideon's story, that you're already a hero, you just don't see it. You already have a strength that you've not felt, you've not seen, you've not discovered, and it could be because nobody's ever called it out in you before. We like to talk about blind spots and how we need relationships in our lives to help us see our blind spots, but usually the context of that conversation is even things that are negative. You know, you got blind spots that are good. You got blind spots in your life, things that are good in you that you don't even see yourself because no one's ever spoken those things over you. Go in the strength that you have. The angel of the Lord saw a strength in Gideon that Gideon himself could not see, and he was settling for a destiny that was less than God created him to have. For some of you, you need to go in the strength that you have in your career. For some of you right now, you're settling for a job that's less than what you could be doing. For some of you, you don't apply for that promotion. You don't apply for that transfer. You don't dream for something bigger because you've bought in to a lie that you've gotten as far as you can. For some of you here tonight, you need to hear that you're settling in your career. For some of you, you're settling in your relationships. For some of you who are single, you're contemplating a relationship with someone. And this is the self-talk that you're having. This might be my best opportunity. Can I just tell you, if those are thoughts that you're having in a romantic relationship, that's the first sign that that's a relationship that you shouldn't pursue. Ephesians 3.20 is exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. That's God's promise to his children. For some of you, you need to go in the strength that you have in your relationships. For some of you, you need to go in the strength that you have in your marriage. For some of you here tonight, you're saying, my marriage is as good as it's going to get. Don't believe that lie. For some of you, you're settling in your marriage because the settling fix that you don't have is connected to the shame fix that you need. For some of you husbands, it's time for you to take your wife by the hand and say, we're going to find a better future together than what we've been settling for. Take responsibility for your own mistakes. Begin to cast vision in your family for the marriage that you could have. It could be that your marriage right now feels like it's slipping through your fingers. And what I believe that God wants to hear you, him say to you tonight is go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. For some of you, you've given up on parenting. You just, you feel helpless. You're like, I guess my kids are just going to be brats. No, for the sake of the rest of us, please do something. We joke all the time, God created you with the ability to make children, right? He did not create you with the knowledge of how to raise them. All of us need to learn how to do that. You're born with the ability to make them, but you've got to invest and learn in how to raise them. We do a parenting class. We teach it every year, every year. I'm just telling you, if you've got young children and you've never taken, taken a parenting class 
I would say to you, respectfully, you're failing in parenting. I remember when Vanessa and I, when we had Derek 18 years ago, we both came from great families. And I remember both of us thinking, I'm not sure that there's anything that we've got to gain from a parenting class because, I mean, we grew up in great families. We just need to do what we, how we grew up. We just need to replicate it. And every week of those 16 weeks, we left that class going, dear God, we would have driven this car right off the cliff. Because sometimes the mistakes you're making, you don't even realize they're mistakes because it's what you grew up with. For some of you, you're settling in your parenting because you're not open to the reality and the idea that you've got a lot to learn. For some of you, you're settling in your education. For some of you, you're settling in your health. You're settling in your health. You've just resigned yourself to the fact that you're you're not ever going to lose that weight or you're not ever going to be in shape. Can I just tell you, your soul is dependent upon your body to stay here. Now, our bodies were made by God to one day die because we weren't born to be here forever. But let it not be that we call this journey short and we get to heaven before we're supposed to because we didn't take care of the body that was supposed to house the soul while it was here. For some of you, you're settling in your health, but there's a fix. Listen to me, the most important thing that you can do to overcome settling is building friendships. Listen to me, with visionary men, giving them a sending voice in your life. The most important thing you can do to overcome settling is building friendships with visionary men, giving them a sending voice in your life. It's not easy. It's not easy to hear from somebody else you could do better. It's hard. But can I just tell you that if you and I don't open our lives up to relationships, open our lives up to relationships with visionary men. Just like Gideon needed an angelic visit, for some of us, we need a visit from a man who is a visionary who can see potential in us that we cannot see ourselves. I'm gonna give you a definition again. Manhood depends, demands. It demands that you put the full weight of your life into the hands of others because there will be fixes in your life that are beyond your reach alone. You can keep trying, you can keep stretching, you can keep going back and trying to figure out another way to do it by yourself, but I'm just going to tell you, you're wasting all the time that you could be devoting to the fix that's waiting for you if you just let some other men in. This is part of the curse of our humanity, men. This is part of the curse of our humanity is that we want to do it ourselves. Part of the Nature of manhood is competitiveness because we're called to be protectors and, and there's a part of us that needs to not give up for all the reasons that we're talking about tonight. But what happens is, is that we take that I'm not going to give up and we let it misdirect us and we think that not giving up means that I can't ask for help. Let me give you these three quick things. If you're going to build relationships with other men in your life, there is a price that you've got to pay. There's a price that you got to pay. It's going to cost you time, and it's going to cost you money. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Fred, you don't know my schedule. You don't understand. I have no, I, I, I'm, I'm lonely because I just don't have any time. 
I don't have any time. What I would say to you, if you don't have time to build relationships with other men, your life is out of order. Your life is out of order. God doesn't expect something from us if he doesn't make a way for us. And you can't read this book with any sense of integrity and not see as just the few verses that we read that God expects you to build relationships with other men. And if you don't have time to do it, then you've got to make the time. You've got to reorganize your life to free up the time. It's going to cost you money. Grab lunch with someone. For some of you, you didn't go to the baseball game, not because you couldn't afford a $12 ticket, because you just didn't want to spend $12 on a ticket. Right? Building relationships with men, there is a price that we have to pay. We've got to give time. It's going to cost us money. It might, need, it might be that you need to sit down with your wife and together, I hope that you're living off of a budget. You need to retool that budget for both of you so that there's money that is available for each of you to pursue the kinds of relationships that you need. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. There's a price that you have to pay. There's a process that you have to pursue. There's a process that you have to pursue. You've got to show up. You've got to jump in, and then you've got to open up. You got to show up at base camp. You got to show up at life group. You got to show up at Saturday services. You got to get involved in a ministry and show up on the weeks that you're supposed to serve. Can I just tell you the majority of all of those things, those aren't things that we do as a church to look successful and appear busy. We're doing all those things for many reasons, but one of them is to create opportunities for you to build relationships with other people. You've got to show up, man. You've got to put yourself in another room with men. And then you got to jump in when you get there. Don't come late and leave early. You got to jump in. You got to get involved. You got to help. You got to ask someone, what can I do to help? Because you know what? As you begin to show up and as you begin to jump in, you begin to meet people. You begin to have conversations with people. At the life group, call ahead and say, can I come a little early and help get things set up? Stay a little late and help clean up. It's amazing the conversations that begin to happen as you share time and space. It's not a mystery. It's how relationships and friendships have been forming in the world from the beginning of time. Time and space. There's a process that you have to pursue. And then, oftentimes men are good at showing up and we're good at jumping in, but then we're a clamshell for the rest of our life. We're the oyster that won't be opened. You gotta open up, guys. At some, at some point, you got to find the person that you think you can trust, and you got to begin to talk with them about the struggles in your life. you got to begin talking with them about the shame that you have. you got to start talking with them about your life just in general, even if you don't realize that it's an area of your life that you need to be challenged in because this is the idea. For you, it might be a blind spot. And as you begin to surround yourself with visionary men, you trust that God's going to put the right men in your life to help you see the things that you need to be spoken to like Gideon was spoken to go in your strength. There is a price that you have to pay. There is a process that you have to pursue. There is a pain to persevere. There's a pain to persevere. Because in that moment, after you've met for lunch a few times with this person that you meet, and you have this feeling because you're remembering this sermon, and you're thinking to yourself, i got to talk about this thing that I remember from my past, that it's just it's the shame that's drawing me out. In that moment, there is a pain that you're going to feel. It's called the pain of vulnerability. And we do not like that pain as men. 
right? So sometimes we compensate for not opening up by showing up and jumping in extra. We double down on the first two so we don't have to do the third, but that's not how it works. The first two don't negate the last one. At some point, you gotta begin to tell your story. At some point, you've gotta find someone that you trust enough to make yourself vulnerable. There's a pain to hearing someone look at you and say, you can do better than that, right? This is part of the pain that you have to persevere as men. You've got to trust men that are a little bit farther along than you. You've got to trust men that have lived and followed Christ a little bit farther than you. This is all part of the discipleship model here, right? The 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. The first one is the invitation, follow me as I follow Christ. This is part of the gift of church community. You find people that are further ahead of you, and you begin to follow them as they follow Christ. And you trust maybe that they know a little bit more about parenting, that they know a little bit more about marriage, they know a little bit more about careers, and they can begin to speak into your situation and challenge you. It's hard for someone to say to us, you can do better, but we're not going to ever do better unless we let people tell us to go in our strength. Manhood demands that you put the full weight of your life into the hands of others because there will be fixes in your life that are beyond your reach alone. A price to pay, a process to pursue, a pain to persevere, a settling fix, and a shame fix. Chris is going to come and play the keys. I want to close the service, then I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to close the service in, in a special way. We've, we've already acknowledged fathers in a, in a few different ways tonight, but I, I want to finish, and, and, I, and I know this makes you feel a little bit conspicuous, but come on, for some of you, this is exactly what you need to do because it's part of what we're talking about. And if you're a dad, I'm just going to invite you to come down to the front. If you're a dad, I'm just, I want to pray over you tonight. But for part of you, I want you to feel what it feels like to do something that's maybe not in keeping with your norm. Wives, Nudge your husband. Tell him you got to come up there or find another ride home. Yeah, come on. Sheets are on the couch if necessary. Father, we just lift these men up to you, these dads. We know these dads, they're special to you. You pick them. We're not just part of some massive strategy for the human race that you know every one of these men as if they were the only men on this planet. You've got a dream for them. You've got a purpose for them. And part of that dream and part of their purpose isn't just for themselves. It's for their wife. It's for their children. It's for generations that are going to come after them. For some of them, it's about getting it right in this generation, God, because there's something that you're setting into motion all those times we get into the Bible and we read those lists of genealogies that we skip as we're reading through the Bible in a year. God, we know you put those there to remind us that my generation is about the next generation. So I pray for these men, not just for them. I pray that they would do these things that we've been talking about tonight, not just for their life, but for generations to come that you're setting something into motion with each of our lives. And we pray, Father, for each of these fathers here tonight that what would be set into motion is a passion for you, life-defining, passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing, that you're going to begin to put men in their lives, that you're going to help them pay the price, you're going to help them pursue the process, you're going to help them persevere the pain. I pray for every fix that they have right now. 
And we know that some that are standing in here right now, Father, their fix is urgent. They're in crisis. And we just say in Jesus' name, help them find the path forward. Help them find the men that are going to lead the charge. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next week.